Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. Hopefully everybody's having a great week. Um, before we get started into the episode, just wanted to mention, uh, we've been talking about the past few weeks, we have a YouTube channel we just recently launched, and we wanted to say, you know, we're trying to get new subscribers to sign up, so if you listen to the to this podcast and you like hearing us head over to the our youtube channel enchanted ears to subscribe but we wanted to say if we hit when we hit 100 subscribers we're gonna do a special giveaway so i don't know what that is going to be yet but we'll do some (laughs) sort of special giveaway so kind of to just incentivize people to go over and subscribe we have at the time this recording i think 43 or 44 subscribers so Mm -hmm. we're right around halfway there so you're really getting on the ground floor or something great here (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. We have a lot of good videos up there, new videos every week. So be sure to go over and check it out. And again, we will post a link in the uh, show notes. So go yeah, it'll be subs- really great. Subscribe. Like when, if you get in on the ground floor and you can say that you were one of the first hundred subscribers to this million subscriber YouTube channel, you know, set our goals high. <laughs> exactly. Be like, I was there at the beginning. So, <laughs> all right. So in Disney news this week, uh, interesting piece of news came out. So, you know, Disney is starting to, you know, announce some some new projects and things, which is a little surprising since a lot of stuff has been postponed. But we, we have a new live action remake coming. So I think Ooh. I know a lot of people are probably groaning at that because <laughs> a lot of people don't like the live action remakes. Um, I think we both like them. I mean, I, I think we both agree that they're probably not necessary, they're but they're good. But I, I enjoy them. So I, I, I mean, I can see it as a way to bring new generations the movies that we love but at the same time i don't know that the anim the animation from those old movies is still so good particularly the ones that they're remaking that you don't really need to remake them it's kind of superfluous so anyway wow sat word there so i'm actually worried i used it wrong (laughs) but but this live action remake i think we can all get behind so this is hercules they're gonna be they're gonna be remaking hercules as live action and why i'm 100 for this is uh, Joan Anthony Russo, who directed Endgame, are going to be producing this movie, and they're getting the writer um, who just wrote Shang Chi, which is an upcoming Marvel movie, Dave Callahan. He's going to be writing the script. But what is Hercules <laughs> if not for a hero's journey superhero, it's, it's a superhero movie. movie? So I think this is the you know Marvel slash Disney live action remake that we all need. I will say that of all the live action remakes that they have made, this is probably the most, as much as I said the other one was superfluous, this one is probably the most necessary because actually last year I was looking into using Hercules in my classroom to teach um, because I was doing some Greek mythology. So I was super excited. I'm like, oh, this is a chance for me to really bring in my passion of Disney. I watched the movie and was horrified by the amount of um, like gender stereotypes, objectification of women, like a lot of stuff that is very like it was funny at the time. But, um, you know, now looking at it, it doesn't hold up well. And I don't want to perpetuate those kind of things in the generations to come. So I think that this is really their chance to kind of update this film, make it more appropriate for the younger generations and um, make it like take the funny parts out because at at its core, it's a great story. Funny parts out. Oh, I'm sorry. Highlight. The so we part. want to make it less funny. <laughs> so let's remake a movie, but we'll take all the good parts out of it and make it worse. So, but I, no, I think, no, no. I really think anything Joan and Anthony Russo do, I'm behind because I mean, Infinity War and Endgame were so amazing. And I think you bring up a lot of good points. I mean, a, a lot of these movies, 
you know, we talked about with Aladdin. I mean, with the remake in Aladdin, it gave Jasmine a somewhat more agency. Yeah, it, it gave her a somewhat more key storyline too. Right, and so you know, they seem to be doing that of kind of updating it for modern times and, and smoothing out some of those rough edges that may not have aged so well. Mm-hmm. And so I think that you're right. This is another example where they have that opportunity. I think this is going to be a really good movie. You know, there's a lot of people talking about their ideal casting. It seems like people are kind of excited about this one. You know, I've seen people throw around getting Beyonce as one of the muses, which I think Ooh. would be really good. Yes, she would be good. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as Hades, which I think would be great because he's <laughs> a done cap suit. He's done mocap. Dormammu. What's his thing? He's worked with. uh, Yeah, I mean, he's done a lot of mocap. He's worked with Marvel. I think he would be a great fit. Was he Smog or no? Yes. 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 Smog for Hercules. I'm not sure who you know a great fit would be. I've seen some people on the internet say like Army Hammer as a as a potential lead. Isn't Army Hammer the one that kind of looks like uh, Aaron Eckhart? I feel like they kind of, or maybe just because they see. I would say though, you have to go with The Rock. He's a friend of the show, and he's always looking for more work. That guy, you know, needs some more work. But I think the problem with The Rock is, is he's not a great singer, and so you need someone who is, I think, a stronger singer for the lead. I I would I would go against that because I watch I look at his Instagram, and about once a day or once every other day, he posts himself singing "You're Welcome," particularly the rap like the little rap verse in your welcome to his like two-year-old daughter who well, still does not know that he, she, he is actually Maui. Well, that's the thing. I mean, he, he sang in Moana, but he wasn't that great a singer. He kind of, he kind of talks, but I think you need a stronger singer but, yes. for a, a pure musical like this. And so I think, I mean, I love the rock. I hope he continues to listen. I hope we don't lose him as a listener over <laughs> this, but I think he's probably not a good fit for this role. You know, a lot of people have been talking about Ariana Grande, for the female lead for Meg. And I think, you know, she, she sang at the sing along. I can't say I'm in love. Right. And so I think conspiracy theory in me says she already has the role. They're already thinking of her for this. And that's why she sang the song at the sing along. Mm -hmm. I think it makes a lot of sense. She did really good. Now people are kind of talking about her for this role. I think it's interesting that she sings, um, she sings on the sing-along, a song from Hercules, and then two weeks later, they announce that they're going to do a live-action remake. She would be perfect for this role because Meg is very sassy, and I feel like Ariana is very sassy, and she's kind of she's kind of got that um, like she's a little bit of a temptress, which is definitely what Meg is. And then it would be interesting to see how Ariana. I mean, Ariana's not really. Or she is an actress, right? Is she an actress. Yeah, Didn't she, she started on, on the, the Disney, Disney Channel. Channel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so she could totally do this. I was thinking, whenever we first talked about this, I was thinking, oh, she's not an actress. She would have to learn. No, she started on the Disney Channel. She started that way. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think that she would be a great choice for this role. I could see, like, an Aaron Eckhart, but he'd have to get buff for Hercules. He's a little old, He's I guess. He's way too old. Yeah, you need somebody younger. So, But, but I, I think this is really interesting. So I think once they start casting this um, – you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see who they actually cast for a lot of these roles. And so, I know that a lot of people are pulling for Danny DeVito too to come back as Phil. Yes, yeah, to have him in, in the live action. So, so I, I think it'll be interesting. I think this is, you know, one live action movie. It seems like a lot of people are supporting. Like I said, they're already doing a lot of dream casting for it online. I think it's going to be really good. I think anything from the Russo brothers will be uh, really great. The only thing that I'm a little concerned about is since I know that Mulan got rid of Mushu. 
I'm worried that they will get rid of Pegasus in this Hercules remake because I think Pegasus is one of the best parts of the original film. So we'll have to see what they do with that. Right. So on to our main topic, uh, kind of sticking with animation. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough that we were planning to talk about the Aristocats this week. So and it just so happens that they, you know, Disney talked about this live action remake. So um, I know, Angela, you you recently watched the Aristocats. (laughs) And this is from the 19. This came out in 1970. So it's gonna be 50 years old this year. Yeah. So December 24th, 1970. Yeah. And so, you know, it's an interesting movie. And kind of as you researched more about it, I think, you know, you found a lot of interesting factoids about it that mm-hmm. I didn't realize. And it is a, you know, kind of, uh, it's an historic movie in Disney history. I mean, there, there are a lot of interesting things about this movie that you may not have known, but it really did right. play a huge part in kind of Disney history. So we thought it would be interesting to take a little bit more of a, you know, of a deep dive um, through the movie, if you have not seen the movie before, I mean, we'll, we'll be talking somewhat about the movie just to kind of give a background, but I don't think anything in terms of like too many spoilers and the fact that you couldn't enjoy the movie afterwards. This movie, I mean, I'm going to get into this, but this movie is very out there. Like there is almost nothing about this movie that's meant to be surprising. So even if we tell you how it ended, it's not like you didn't know the whole time that that's the way it was going to end. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these Disney movies, I think we've talked about this before, that, I mean, even o- older movies, not even just Disney movies, but movies that came out in the 60s, 70s, 80s, didn't really necessarily have a lot in the way of plot and surprises and turns. They were very much just kind of, hey, one thing happens after another, and we're kind of just going through the motions, and you're you're there, that there, there's not these huge twists like there are today and i think it's because people are so used to things that you know with the internet everybody's trying to guess what's going to happen so you have you to need kind that of, shock factor. yeah exactly whereas you didn't need that back then and you know so it, it is interesting to, to kind of see this but yeah, like we said so it, it's 50 years old this is the first movie i believe that was released well, I guess the Jungle Book was released after Walt's death, but this right. was kind of the first one that was really so completed without it a was, lot of yeah, insight it, from him. The Jungle Book was in production when Walt was still alive, so they still kind of see it as a movie that he had his hand in. Um, this is the first movie completely, like pretty much completely done without Walt. Right, and actually, um, but Walt did kind of greenlight this movie, but he put it on hold because they were actually working on the Jungle Book. Right. So they once they completed the Jungle Book, they moved directly into this one. This movie, like we said, was released in 1970 at the very end of the year, December 24th. It was an hour, it's an hour and 18 minutes. So it runs about, it has about the same runtime as any other Disney animated film. Whenever it was released, it had a $4 million budget and it made $191 million in the, in the box office, which well, seems that, insane. That is across all of the re-releases. Well, That's right. not the original release. So it, it came out. Um, initially it was re-released again in the eighties. They've had, they've had additional, um, re-releases on. So overall it's made 191 million at the global box office, which is pretty impressive, especially on a $4 million budget. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I have a little synopsis here that I wrote. So I wrote it from a different perspective. I actually wrote it from Edgar's perspective. When Edgar, a butler, hears his employer, retired opera singer and loving cat owner, Madame Adelaide Bonfumele made her will he's dumbfounded after years of faithful service he learns her cat duchess and her scamp kittens are set to inherit her money so he gets rid of the cats so he can claim the inheritance himself duchess having never had to live in the real world finds herself lost with her kittens she befriends a street cat o'malley who tries to help her get back home so 
Um, this is kind of the whole... Very much like a Lady in the Tramp vibe to this, where yeah. you have kind of a, a more proper right. animal with then kind of a, a streetwise counterpart. Right. Well, uh, of course, a proper lady and then the streetwise man who has to come and save her, of course. I mean, because this is the time time we're, we're, right, we're operating in. So there's some really notable cast members. This is interesting because you and I just watched a YouTube video um, recently about the advent of using famous people in in animated films like it, it is interesting because in more you know modern movies that they really use the voice actors to kind of sell the movie more than the plot itself whereas yeah in you know movies you know pre-1990 um it, it really wasn't about who voiced the characters it was really about the story and the tale and they talked about those really with you know aladdin and robin williams that then people started to say, well, now we need to sell, you know, who these, we really need to sell the voice actors versus just a movie. But this, this movie had a lot of famous people in the, at the time though, voice some of these characters, correct? Madame is played by Eva Gabor, which is the um, sister of Zsa Zsa Gabor. And she was a successful actress. She was in Green Acres. She was a businesswoman. She helped to sell like wigs and stuff. And yeah, so she, she was pretty, she was pretty popular. And then O'Malley is Phil Harris, who was a musician, a comedian, and he also voiced Baloo and Lil John. What? I, mean, <laughs> I actually said Lil John, not Little John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Roquefort, the the mouse, is Sterling Holloway, who did nothing at all to disguise or change his voice. He's Winnie the Pooh. Like oh, okay. as I was watching this film, I'm like why is Winnie the Pooh? So it sounded like Winnie and, the Pooh in the movie. A hundred percent sounded just like Winnie the Pooh. And you know how bad I am at identifying voice actors, so or people by voices. So like it was, it was shocking to me that I immediately was like, "Well, that's Winnie the Pooh, obviously." That would be a, that would be a fun game to play. Play voices for you and see if you can identify who the <laughs> who the person talking is. Yeah, that would be a fun game. We'll have to write it down. And then Scat Cat is Scatman Crothers, who's an actor, a musician, and he had various TV roles and other really cool roles that you might be familiar with today, like Jazz the Autobot in the original Transformers and the Transformers movie that came out in 1986. And and this um, was actually supposed to be voiced by Louis Armstrong originally, is who they wanted to voice it, but he had to back out um, uh, for, some, for some reason. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that would have been... You know, Louis Armstrong is a famous yes. musician as well. So you can kind of see they were going for, you know, a higher quality, you know, voice cast in this movie, which is something that they, again, wasn't very um, prevalent back then. Right. I'm, I'm interested to know if maybe they did that as a sort of way to make up for the fact that people maybe had reservations that Walt was gone. Um, maybe they, they figured if they put all these people that people were familiar with they'd say oh well this movie's going to be good even though walt doesn't have his hand in it yeah and this movie i mean again you know following in the disney tradition had a lot of great songs the songs were written by the sherman brothers um in this movie and this was actually the last movie i I found this when i was looking it up was actually the last movie the sherman brothers did for the for disney because after walt's death they kind of increasingly had issues with new management and there was like a lot of friction. And so they, they did this movie and, you know, for a long time, I think they eventually came back and wrote some songs for some other movies. Um, but it, 
this was kind of the last like major movie, major work that they did for Disney for a while. Wow. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was interesting. So you know, you know, it's gonna have great songs when the Sherman Brothers are involved. But it is interesting that again, this is kind of the last one they did. So kind of as we talked about, I mean, it the Aristocats. I I wouldn't say is an extremely popular Disney movie. I mean, I think a lot of people who are fans of Disney know about it, mm-hmm. but it is a very important one in the history of the company, you know, for a number of reasons that you may not expect like right. this. Yeah, exactly. So that actually rolls really nicely into some of the fun facts about the film. But I think the most interesting piece of information about this movie, which I cannot believe, and I still think is a joke, is that it is actually based on a true story. So there's a apparently an early 1900s, I think it was like a 1910 story about cats that inherited a fortune. And, you know, I think people always joke about that. Oh, I'm going to leave all my money to my dog or my cat. Somebody actually did it. And then, and then they wrote a story about it. And then it turned into this movie, which I think is absolutely fascinating. Or they used this. Yeah, yeah they, they used, they used it, it, to- it yeah, to, as the basis for this movie. And I think because of that, um, this should be considered the greatest movie ever made because this is <laughs> because this is based on true events. I think they need to start. I think they need to add that to the tagline based on true events. Somebody really gave their cats tons of money. Yeah, I. It's interesting because I I looked it up a few times to try to figure out a little bit more about the story, like to try to <laughs> learn a little more. But I didn't. I mean, I didn't dig too hard, but it it I couldn't really find it either. It was. I'm sure that there's probably some article somewhere and I probably could have read like the story that it was actually based off. Yeah, of I looked around looked. to try to find the original story, but all I could find is just the fact that it's it is reference. It, yeah, yeah, it is based on a story. And one thing that's interesting is, you know, the script bounced around for a while and Disney actually initially rejected it. Not Walt himself, but the company. And the the people that wrote the story reached out to Walt directly and, and then, you know, that's when he, you know, greenlit the movie. But it originally was to take place in New York. Mm. And I'm not sure if that's where the, mm. the 1910 story, the true story took place, but they decided to move it to France because 101 Dalmatians did so well because it was set in Britain. Mm. And they really felt that the British setting, you know, added a lot to the story. So they suggested, Hey, let's set this one in France to add okay. another you know level to the story. So that's how we get these um, Parisian cats versus uh, New York cats. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, and um, there are actually supposed to be four kittens in the movie instead of three, and I think that that is a good call because, quite honestly, one of those kittens could have not existed at all because, I mean, they they all blended together, and that is something as, like, when you're writing, you try to consolidate the characters as much as you can. If you can have a character for, like, you know, serve a couple purposes and they can just be rolled into one character instead of having two that's less complicated so yeah. and those were some of Walt's initials initial notes on the script too is that there was too much going on that they needed a pair that they need a pair of stuff back um you know and and one of the kittens um was one of those things cut out one you know one kitten yeah and interestingly enough another note that Walt had and this this like again blows my mind the movie was actually like the actual concept was delivered to be live action. They wanted to do this in two parts on the magical ma- magical world of Disney, and Walt thought it would work way better if it was animated. And again, I think that's another great call. I think that this, um, the only part of this film that is, uh, I'm going to get into this to me, really charming is the animation to it. Uh, if you take that out of it I, and made it live action, I think it would have been very difficult uh, to 
try to digest or want to sit and watch. And I think this just goes to show that Disney's been trying to do live action movies for a long time now. So, so all the recent <laughs> live actions aren't anything new. It's actually um, pulling an old play out of the playbook from 50 years ago. Let's just make it live action. Yeah, exactly. And then there's a couple really interesting since French translations here. So Bon Famille, which I think I said it right that time. Sorry, those of you who speak French. Uh, bon Famille actually means good family. So that's Madame's last name or Adelaide's last name. In Rockfort, which I thought was a really weird name for a mouse, that's a kind of cheese. So it makes sense that his, he's, a, he's a mouse and he has a cheese name. So that's really cute. And then the other thing that I thought was really interesting was O'Malley. They originally wanted him to be a tabby cat. So, you know, tabby cats have the stripes on them. And then whenever they were animating the uh, the Jungle Book and they were doing Shere Khan's stripes, they realized how difficult it was to actually create those stripes. And so they decided to just completely ditch the stripes for O'Malley and just make him a solid, um, you know, brownish red cat. And that makes it way less, you know, expensive and time consuming to animate him. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also the, they actually plan to do a sequel for this in 2008. I feel like in the early 2000s, they were really reaching. Disney was reaching a lot and trying to do a lot of, of sequels of popular movies. So they try they were trying really hard but eventually it fell through due to time constraints and also lack of faith in the project because it like bounced around a lot at first it went through it got pushed through and then there was an animator or there was somebody um who was working on the story he read the script and said this isn't ready and so they decided that they wanted to try to work through the script again and try to fix it up and the, they get the studio gave them a really short time frame to actually do it in and so they, they, he said we did a great job with it for you know I think they had like four to six weeks to completely basically do a, a total rewrite and but then the very end they they the studio had no no real faith in it and he said that was probably a good call in the line the long run but the movie was written as a mystery slash farce with comedic elements that was that pitted the kittens against a jewel thief thief on a luxury cruise ship. So I could see that going. Interesting. Very interesting story <laughs> idea. Yeah, like it, it was it was meant to kind of mirror the original because you know they were the kit the kittens and the cat and Duchess were pitted against the um you know, the butler against Edgar in the first one. And he was bumbling and not very smart. So they were trying to do something similar in the second one. Um, but again, it just didn't seem to work. So I bet you're probably wondering at this point, all right, you watched it. What did you think? And you probably really weren't wondering that. But uh, I definitely think the movie shows its age. Uh, there are a lot of stereotypes in the movie. There are racial stereotypes. I mean, the Siamese cat is just super offensive. Um, and then also there's some gender stereotypes, particularly with the cats. But I will say I am really interested and proud of Disney because this was, was made in 1970. And we have Madame, who is a highly successful woman. She has no man. And she's uh, she has like a fortune that she's amassed, I guess, herself. Um, I don't think they ever mentioned her having a husband. So you see a very successful woman in a, in a position of prominence. And for the seventies, I think that that's really progressive for the film. But I think that overall there's a major plot hole in the film because Edgar, the Butler tries to dispose of the cats after he overhears Madame talking 
to her lawyer about them being set to inherit the fortune. But then Edgar is supposed to be the next person in line. So, I mean, what does he think happens when the cats inherit her fortune? He's going to be the person who's going to I think, inherit the cats. Those cats are going to spend all that money. That's the clearly <laughs> the only logical thing to think that once you hear cats are going to inherit a fortune, that they're just going to be buying the most expensive tuna that only you can catnip. get. Yeah. Just so much catnip. It's going to be premium catnip, grade A tuna, fresh <laughs> caught, served to them um, You know, by... But he's gonna have to be the butler to those cats and it's just every whim that they want it's gonna be diamond studded collars just lifetime subscriptions to cat fancy magazine i mean he knows what's gonna happen that money's gonna be gone <laughs> yeah i again this just doesn't today i think a lot of you know even though some of the stakes in the films aren't so high i mean this one the butler tried so hard I mean, tried hard and then also didn't try hard at all, which is my other issue with the film, to get rid of the cats. Um, but then again, if he wanted to get rid of the cats, he would have tr- actually killed them instead wouldn't of just taking them. Wouldn't have been much them. of a movie then either. Yeah, it wouldn't have been. But All the cats died in the first five he minutes. Just, he just never... He is not... There's no impending sense of danger in this movie. So you never get the impression that Edgar is dangerous. He doesn't do the logical thing and try to kill Madame, who actually is the person who has all the money because then he, all he has to do is worry about the cats after she's gone. Um, he goes for the cats instead. So I could see why kids would enjoy this movie, but as an adult, when you watch it, it's kind of like, mm, I mean, his, his, his motivation is a little murky because he's not really that smart. So you constantly are underestimating his ability to do anything and also his ability to be actually dangerous. And doesn't he think it's going to be suspicious that, He's next in line and suddenly all the cats just disappear. Like, wouldn't he be prime suspect number one? I mean, if any, you know, murder mystery shows or movies have taught us anything, it's always the person that benefits. They're the prime suspect. Yeah. So it's like, of course, he's going to be the one that they're going to look to. And he did it. You got to like, you got to think this through. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess cat napping is if to counter your point a bit. If he killed Madame, that would be more suspicious. But the cat's going away, not so maybe suspicious. So maybe, away. maybe he's, uh, maybe he's not as dumb. Maybe as he I thought think. this through a little bit more. <laughs> I don't know. But um, and then I have this quote that I got from MousePlanet.com, which is uh, a website that talks about Disney stuff. But this is, it was given by an an animation historian named Charles Solomon in the Los Angeles times. So he said the Aristocats reveals how essential Walt Disney was in shaping the studio's animated features and how significant a gap he left. Aristocats was the first film made entirely after his death. The plot does little more than link a string of vaguely related episodes. So I think that that actually is a really good kind of summary of why this movie is historically significant but also doesn't really hold up to a rewatch very well. Like this is not a movie that I want to go back and watch again. It's not a movie that I would recommend really anybody else watch. And again, if you love this movie, it it is absolutely fine. It is a good movie. I just, I know that this is, it's just not my thing. Um, And I think that there's definitely some, they were trying to find themselves a bit in this movie and it just didn't all pull together like Disney films often do. So 
yeah, I think that that's pretty much it. And I have to thank Oh My Disney, Wikipedia, IMDb, and Disney.fandom.com for the wonderful information that I had in there. Yeah, so I think that's kind of a, a good overview of the movie. Again, it's I, I wouldn't say it's one of the most popular Disney movies, but I do think a lot of people know about it. You know, I have seen some of the Aristocats characters in the parks mm-hmm. every now and then they seem to pop up actually where we saw them was in tokyo yeah i was gonna say in tokyo yeah. we actually saw characters walking around we we saw marie and i think we actually saw some of the other kittens too but marie is the most recognizable of them yeah they had yeah they had the uh, the cats there in tokyo so easy to see but yeah so I, I think it is you know interesting i think again you know disney fans know it and i think people are kind of aware of it but it's not it's not a super popular movie, and I think kind of to your point, it, it kind of makes sense maybe why, because the, the rewatchability maybe isn't there, and, and it maybe doesn't have the strongest plot, you know, throughout the movie, so that it's, you know, it's it's a decent movie, but it's not maybe something that people want to rewatch over and over again, right. um, like some of the other, you know, Disney classics that we have. So I, I think it's it kind of makes sense maybe why you know, the sequel never took off, why they haven't switched it to a live action yet, which, hey, there's still time. <laughs> maybe they'll get to that one eventually. So, But definitely, you know, let us know um, if you love the Aristocats or, you know, what, what are your feelings of the movie? You know, b- be sure to let us know. You can, uh, you know, check us out on Facebook or Instagram. We're at Enchanted Ears Podcast on both. And, you know, want to thank everybody, you know, again, for listening week after week. Be sure you subscribe, leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. We really appreciate it. And again, be sure to head over to our YouTube channel and subscribe. Once we hit those 100 subscribers, we'll be having a special giveaway. Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for letting us your ears. Yeah, have a great week, everyone. We'll see you here next Monday. Bye.